Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see all of you here. Let me extend my personal welcome to you this morning. I know you've been welcomed a lot already, but really, I don't want to take for granted that you choose to spend your Sunday morning here with us, whether online or in person. I think that's pretty awesome. And if you're new to our church, you are a very, very special guest. We love having you here. You're not intruding. You are expected. We expect you to come here and join us regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey. And if you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? You've done yourself a favor by being in God's house this morning. I just want to mention again what Pete said about follow. It's happening this Tuesday, and I'm going to be one of the uh, people leading this small group. So please, if you have not signed up for follow yet, I want you to sign up because you're going to be so blessed as we talk about how we can be authentic disciples of Jesus Christ the way Jesus meant it to be, all right? We'll teach you how to pray. We'll teach you how to read the Bible for yourself and so on. It's going to be fantastic. So make sure you sign up for follow either online, info, or you can also ask uh, any of the hosts outside. All right. You know, uh, a few years ago, I went to Watertown Outlet Center in the city because I was looking to buy a suit, and I found this amazing suit, and it was only 40 bucks. What's even better <laughs> is that this uh, suit has a recommended retail price of $400. So it was a 90% discount. Can you believe it? But it has a little tag on the suit that says, slightly irregular. Slightly irregular. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what's wrong with this suit. And turns out that on the inside of the suit, there's a big tear on the lining of the suit on the inside. But nobody can see it, right? So let me ask you a question. How many of you think because of that tear on the inside, I decided not to buy the suit? How many of you think that? How many of you think I decided to go ahead with it anyway? Raise your hand. You think I'm that cheap, right? Okay. Well, of course I bought the suit. I'm a cheap Asian, man. What do you expect? I can't resist that kind of temptation. That's too much. 90% off. Nobody can resist that temptation. So I bought the suit, and I, I think I still have the suit now. It's just incredible. One of the best bargains I, I've ever found. And you can actually find similar bargains. You know, if you want you know, bargain discount prices, you just look for items with text that says, as is or slightly irregular, right? And, you know, expect to find something that is not quite right with it. Maybe a stain that won't come out, a zip that won't zip, a zipper that won't zip, a button that won't bud, and so on, you know? You find those stuff in this thing if you want a bargain basement price. Now, um, a few years ago, John Ortberg wrote this amazing book, highly recommended. It's called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to know them, all right? Now, the, the main thesis of the book is profoundly simple. Uh, basically, it says this, that when it comes to human beings, you have come to the as-is, slightly irregular corner of the universe. Why do we need to be reminded of that? Because every single person is under the illusion that somewhere out there, there are people who are normal. And according to John Orberg, there's no such thing. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. If you don't believe me, let me prove it to you. Your husband, 
or your wife. They used to be normal, right? <laughs> Especially when you were dating them. Oh, they're so good. Everyone is perfect when you are dating. When do they become not perfect? When you married them, right? <laughs> you find out that your husband, your wife is slightly irregular. Talk to my wife and she'll tell you, Daniel is not just slightly irregular. He's a lot irregular, all right? Now, um, but that's just the truth, isn't it? And this is one of the quotes from the book, which is amazing. He says, every one of us pretends to be healthier and kinder than what we really are. We all engage in what might be called depravity management. Wow. Truth hurts. We all engage in depravity management. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are doing very well in managing your depravity this morning. <laughs> no, don't do that. You're so obedient. Don't be too obedient, all right? <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? And what's amazing is, despite our depravity, despite our slight irregularity, despite our imperfection, guess what? You and I have been created by God to crave connection. You have been created by God to want belonging, to want care, to want to belong to an authentic relationship, authentic community, which makes it hard being, you know, slightly irregular that all of us are. But that's the way we've been created, whether you like it or not, which is why I really love this theme song from one of my favorite sitcoms called Cheers. I know, I think I used this example before, but it's so good. If you, have not, if you have never seen Cheers, Cheers is about this bar in Boston. And I actually got to visit that bar and took a bit of photo outside Cheers. Cheers is actually a bar in Boston. And the story, the sitcom, revolves around the friendship, the connection, the real connection that happened in that bar by the regulars that come there. And the great thing about Cheers is not only it's a great sitcom, but the theme song is wonderful. One of the best theme songs ever. And this is the lyrics of of the theme song. I, I love this so much. It says, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. It's not easy to live in this world, right? Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? And this is my favorite line ever. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see that our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know if that's literal or not, but the truth remains that you and I have been created by our Heavenly Father to want connection, to want authentic relationship. We are not designed to be by ourselves. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. We're not designed by our Heavenly Father that way. We're designed to live in a community. We're designed to live with each other and to have this authentic relationship with one another. All right? And in, the, in one of the biographies of Jesus written by John Mark, we find a very, very wonderful story of friendship. Now, this story of friendship is probably better than Cheers, better than 
your favorite sitcom like Friends or um, Big Bang Theory or whatever, right? This is a really, really good story of friendship. If you grew up in church, you probably are familiar with this story, but if you're not, uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you caught up really quickly. We're going to read the story together. Let me give you a little bit of background first before we read the passage, all right? By this time, Jesus was very popular already. He was a teacher like no other, but not only that, Jesus was famous by this time, okay? He was known not only as a great teacher, but he was also known as a great healer, as a miracle worker. So we're going to pick up this story with this background information that Jesus was already very famous, all right? So in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, not even outside the door. Someday the rocks is going to be like that. Hallelujah. All right. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And I want to stop right here. I want you to imagine with me what it's like, how difficult it must be being a paralytic in the first century. All right? Not only it's impossible for you to get around, but the stigma, the curse, right? The look that you get from people uh, thinking that you must be cursed to be born like that. It's hard enough to be a disabled person living in the 21st century. Imagine how difficult it must be being a paralyzed person in the first century. All right? So this man, it, his whole life is lived on a mat about one meter wide by two meter long. That's all he knows, right? He can't make any contribution to the society. He has to beg for a living. In fact, people had to take care of him. Someone has to feed him, clothe him, carry him, even clean up after him when he soils himself. That's what happens when you are a paraplegic. Maybe he tried to get healed, you know, he's seen doctors, witch doctors, he tried hypnotism, exorcism, he tried everything, nothing worked, okay? Nothing worked. But, like you and me, I also imagine that he has dreams. He dreams of walking one day. He dreams of having his own family. He dreams of making a contribution to the society, right? But they're all just that. They're just dreams. Because every single morning he wakes up, the first thing that he sees is that mat, one meter wide by two meter long. And he realizes this might be the dreams that he will never see in his lifetime. So he has no money, he has no job, he has no family, he has no future. But with all the things that he's lacking, he got one thing going for him that maybe not even you and I have. You know what he has? He has four amazing friends. That's what he has. And I also imagine that that kind of friendship must not be the easiest friendship, right? Imagine you are the four friends having to take care of a paraplegic person. Imagine you are the paralyzed man. 
must be not easy as well. Maybe from time to time, he would be envious of his friends, seeing them walking on their own two feet, you know, must be like, oh man, I wish I could be like them. Maybe from time to time, he would feel guilty as well. He will feel like, am I a burden to my friends having to take care of me all the time, you know, and that would make him very sad. So that kind of friendship, I'm sure, has a lot of challenges as well. But guess what? Despite the challenges that they face, that friendship that they have thrive. The mat that is supposed to be a, a hindrance, right? A barrier to their friendships actually became a symbol of selfless love. That mat became a symbol of service, of authentic relationship, and that's what they have, okay? So one day, they heard that this famous teacher, Jesus, was coming to town. And the four friends immediately thought of their friend, the paraplegic. Let's call him Pete, Pete the paraplegic. And they got so excited. Maybe this is the time, maybe this is the opportunity for our friend to be healed by Jesus because they heard all the stories, right? So they're so excited. They called Pete and said, Pete, we're going to pick you up at four, mate. We're going to pick you up at four. And when they say we're going to pick you up, literally, they mean we're going to pick you up, right? Because he's a paraplegic. So... And they got so excited, but they were so disappointed. As soon as they got to the house, guess what happened? The house was so packed, there was no more room, not even outside the door. So imagine the disappointment in their faces. The four friends thought, this is the day that our friend will get healed. And it looks like it's not going to happen. But no one was more disappointed than Pete, the paraplegic. Jesus was so close and yet so far. And maybe he resigned to the fact that maybe I'm not meant to be healed. Maybe this is the lot in life that I have to live. Maybe I'm meant to be this way for the rest of my life. So he was so, so disappointed. And his friends could probably see the disappointment in his face. And they look at each other and they agree together without even having to say anything. Because they're so close. And they thought like, we can't let this go. We, we have to do something for our friend. So they got together, right? In any friendship, you always have the wise one, you have the crazy one, you have the, the practical one, the lazy one, you know, you have all kinds of people in, in, in the friendship usually, right? So the wise one got all the friends together and said, let's, let's discuss this, let's brainstorm. How can we get our friend to see Jesus, okay? And in brainstorming, no idea is a bad idea. Every idea is good. So let's, let's see what you have. No one said anything until the crazy one put up his hand and said, how about this? What if we just cut a hole on the roof, okay? And then we lower Pete from the roof in front of Jesus. How about that? No one said anything. And the wise one said, any other idea? Come on. <laughs> but no one came up with anything. Like, that's the best idea they could come up with. And so they thought like, Maybe we should just do this. How much worse can it get, right? He's already a paraplegic. So even if he falls down, can't get any worse. I know I'm so mean, but, you know, that's, that's probably what they were thinking, okay? So that's exactly what they did in the, in the next verse, in verse 4. So they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, now, you, you got to imagine with me. And when you read the Bible, you got to read it with your imagination, right? Otherwise, it becomes just letters, you know? So imagine with me how hilarious that scene must be 
Think about it, right? You have Jesus teaching and people, religious leaders, listening intently to Jesus and suddenly they hear this strange noise coming from the ceiling and dust and dirt, uh, pieces of weeds began to fall down from the ceiling, right? Uh, getting into their people's eyes, uh, landing on their heads and then suddenly people start murmuring and Jesus stopped teaching. And before you know it, kaboom! First century concrete <laughs> fell right there in front of Jesus. The room is filled with dust, right? And everybody looked up and they saw four pairs of hands lowering what looked like a mat with a person on, on the mat. And true enough, it was actually a mat with someone on the mat and they were all go nuts, right? They were all upset about what they saw. And they, when Jesus looked up, you know what he saw? He saw four faces, okay, <laughs> covered with white dust, smiling sheepishly as if to say, sorry, sorry, we're just here for our friend. We're just here for our friend. And this is what happened next, okay? Seeing their faith, other translation says, impressed by their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, I would think Jesus did not like interruption, right? He's a teacher. No teachers like interruption. You know why Jesus chose to be born 2,000 years ago and not now? Because there was no mobile phones okay, at the time. But no teachers like interruption. So maybe it's not too far-fetched to expect Jesus to be angry at this point. But no, he wasn't angry. In fact, he was impressed by their faith. And I think Jesus was not impressed by a lot of things in life, right? He's God. How do you impress God? You want to impress God with your money? Is that it? You want to impress God with your position, with your title, with your, I don't know, talent? No. They all come from God. You can't impress God with things that come from Him. But God is impressed with your faith. He's impressed with my faith. And in, for, in this instance, Jesus was impressed by their faith. Now, that's quite, you know, if you think about it, right? That's true, isn't it? Maybe you don't realize this. Do you know that your faith can actually save others? Do you know that your faith can influence your community? Do you know that your faith can make a difference in your family, in your church, even if you're surrounded by people who don't believe in God? And here, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven, which probably is the last thing that paralyzed person want to hear. He came to be healed, not to be forgiven, which is fantastic, by the way, right? But his immediate need is that he wanted to be healed. But this statement from Jesus made the religious leaders really, really angry. And this is what happened next. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? 
Of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can prove you right or wrong, right? But this is why Jesus is amazing. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, I'm going to stop right here. That's exactly what happened. The man stood up, and for the first time in his life, he actually walked. Okay, now I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus more impressed with? Do you think he's more impressed with the religious leaders who look like arrived at church on time, got good seats, listening intently to the teaching of Jesus, maybe writing notes as well? Was Jesus impressed with their faith or was Jesus impressed with the faith of uncouth, uncultured, uneducated ceiling crushers who were there only for one reason and one reason only, not for themselves, but for their disabled friend. You know, when Jesus looked up, this is my imagination, all right? When Jesus looked up and he saw those four faces covered in white dust, he saw a glimpse of what it means to be human for all of us, that people would take time to care for one another. That's exactly how God had created them, created all of us to be. And I reckon Jesus was more impressed with the faith of those four people than spiritual people who consider themselves mature, understand a lot about God, about theology, but don't really care about one another. Here's my point. The more spiritual you are, the more you care for people. If you call yourself mature, if you call yourself spiritual, but you don't care for people, you're not spiritual. I can tell you that right now. You're not mature. Because if you really are mature, if you really are spiritual, you will not be able to not, to not care and love on people, right? Again, we saw this, we see these verses a lot, but Jesus, when he was trapped by the religious leaders to tell them what is the most important commandment, this is what Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you cannot say you are devoted to God without being devoted to to one another. You just cannot. The two are so tightly intertwined because he said the second is not lesser than the first. The second is like the first. In fact, the second is how you express the first commandment. If you really love Jesus, if you really love God, you will learn to love one another. All right? How can you love the God that you can't see when you can't even love the people that you see. In other words, it is impossible to grow spiritually without being connected relationally. I'm not saying it's difficult. I'm saying it's impossible. Why? Because Jesus said it's impossible. The two are interrelated. I imagine Pete, the paraplegic, grew older, right? And one by one, his friends, you know, started to have to use canes to walk to use walkers to walk, 
But Pete was still strong because he got brand new spare parts from Jesus, right? And then one by one, his friends started dying to come back to be with the Lord. And when his final friend died to be with Jesus, I imagine Pete looked at the mat in the corner that he still keeps. And right there, he realized one thing, that God's greatest gift to him is not his healed body. God's greatest gift to him is his four friends. And that's what God wants to give you. I believe your life is not meant to be lived alone. That's why in this church, we believe that circles are better than rows. It's fantastic, especially this morning. The church is full. It's fantastic to see you sitting in rows like this. Man, come on, right? Nothing, nothing makes me happier on Sunday than seeing all these rows filled with people. So please, keep coming back. Don't stop coming to church. But I'm going to tell you this. As good as it is for me to see you sitting in rows like this, I would rather see you sitting in circles, all right? I would rather see you belonging to an authentic community, people who love you as you are, people who love all your imperfection, all your as-is, all your slightly irregular, a place where you can let, let your hair down, which is very difficult for me to do. But you know what I mean? I would rather you belong to such community where your faith can grow, where you learn to forgive because not everybody's easy to love, where you learn patience, where you learn grace, right? Where you learn to also re receive grace because you're not going to be perfect forever. You're going to be struggling with your marriage, with your parent parenting and all that. But this community, this group of authentic people will love on you, will forgive you, will encourage you, right? When you fall down, will pick you up. When you celebrate, they celebrate with you. When you belong to an authentic community like that, <laughs> Come on, I guarantee you, your faith will grow. Your faith will not grow just sitting in rows like this. As, as much as I like to think highly of myself that my 30-minute speech every Sunday is going to change your life for good. Nah, it's when you're sitting in circles with friends. That's when life change is going to happen. I want to show you a quick video from um, people, uh, our own people, to tell you more about what small group means to them. Okay. Small group to me is a, um, a community or a group of people who you can do life with, not just life, but life in Christ and follow Jesus. Um, people who love Jesus in the same way, um, but tend to fall behind or not feel right in the community. And therefore you've got this group, you've got this awesome group who really tends to help you through that journey and to walk you through things when you're having hardships, um, to celebrate with you when you're having, you know, um, achievements, successes. It's just a group of people for you who love Jesus and who help you throughout everything. I feel like small group to me is a community that uh, is strong with each other, that helps each other out no matter what, especially a small group in church, meaning that we definitely have to uh, incorporate God in everything that we do. We help each other out. We bring ourselves up uh, through encouraging words or being there for each other. And just coming to church every week, seeing familiar faces, that really makes you feel more comfortable being in church. 
You can always expect something every Sunday to see them, to see all the friendly faces that you've met, all the friendly faces that you've knew for a while right now. Small group um, has really impacted my life in a lot of ways. I joined a small group at a time when um, I was feeling quite lonely and disconnected from the world around me um, and I wasn't quite sure where I stood with a lot of friendships and connections so small group when I joined immediately became like a family and um, it gave me so much in terms of enriching my faith, um, having time to really get to know people at the church um, and yeah it's just given me so much in terms of knowing that God loves me and God loves me through other people as well. Yeah. Do you know that in our church, in every generation, including the Wombaland children, the Upstreet children, we all meet in small groups. Do you know that our teenagers meet on Fridays on, in small groups as well? We want, we want this to be the life of the church. We believe so much how important small group is to our faith journey that we make sure it's not just adults, but our, our children, our teenagers are also in small group. So my encouragement to you this morning is very simple. If you're not already in a small group, I want you to sign up, all right? Today, I want you to sign up. Uh, and after you sign up, you're going to be contacted. I want you to show up, okay? Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Give it a try. Um, not just once. You know, maybe when you come once, things are a bit awkward at the beginning. You can't share deep, meaningful stuff at the very beginning, and we don't expect you to. So just take it easy. Keep coming at least three, four times until you get comfortable, all right? And then just be real. Be who you are, all right? That's what the group is for. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to be someone that you're not. Maybe you've had bad experience before with small group. Maybe you say, oh, you know, that's it. I had it with small group. I, uh, I, I'm still hurt from my past small group because of the way they treat me. But guess what? You know, when you go to a hair salon and you get a bad haircut, what do you do? You don't stop going to a salon. You find another salon that can cut your hair better, right? I don't need to go to a hair salon, but you know what I mean. If you go to a mechanic and that mechanic, you know, bunch up, uh, you know, messed up your car, what do you do? You don't stop bringing your car for service. You go to another mechanic, right? I mean, we do this in life. That's just normal. Same thing with small group as well. It's part of our lives. If you don't find a group that you can gel in, find another group. We'll help you find another group, all right? But it's so important that you belong to one. So that's that. And if you, uh, uh, if you have experience leading a small group and you want to be a small group leader, or maybe you don't have experience, but you feel moved this morning by the Spirit of God, Maybe you think like, maybe I can do this. Maybe I want to lead small group. You know what is the number one requirement for leading a small group? Just care for people. That's it. We'll, we'll train you. We'll teach you about how to facilitate discussion, you know. Uh, by the way, that's, that's what you do. You don't have to have all the answers to all the questions and all that. You just have to care for people. If that's you, be one of our small group leaders. We are short of small group leaders in this church right now. We have people on the waiting list because we don't have enough small groups to plug them into. Maybe you can help us in that, um, in that need. So if that's you, sign up. Also, show up. Okay? 
uh, and then we'll monitor, we'll always give you uh, the coaching that you need as you take on this role. So, right now, I want you to take out your mobile device. I- I'm not going to let you go. Okay, host, lock all the doors before... Uh, no, just kidding. Okay, take out your mobile device. Right? Take out your mobile device. Why don't you do this, okay? And I'm, I'm, this is my prayer. I've been praying about this for the whole week. I want every person in our church to belong to a small group, right? Be patient with us. If we have to put you on a waiting list for a bit, we will put you in a small group, my promise to you, okay? So just scan that QR code, take out your mobile device now. I want to join a small group. And if you can help us lead one of our small groups, please scan the QR code on the, on the other side, on the right-hand side, and we will interview you. We'll make sure you're not crazy or anything like that. Uh, slightly irregular is okay, but uh, we'll train you how you can be a small group leader. Right? While you're doing that, it's very just quick fill in the form. takes you less than one minute. Let me tell you our story, our journey of being in a small group. When we first moved to Dallas, Texas to study, we did not know anybody. Literally, we knew zero people. And we were newly wed, and we didn't know what to do. So thank God in our church we have a small group and we joined that small group and that small group quickly became our family. In fact, we could say, you know, without hesitation, that small group is in a way even better than our family because they really care about us, right? For a time being, my small group leader called me like at least once or twice a week just to find out how I'm doing being a stranger in a new country. Isn't that amazing? And when we first moved back to Perth in 2001, we started this church, we went through a rough patch in our lives with our infertility and all. It is our friends, it is our small group that help us during that rough period in our life. I'm telling you, it is indispensable that every single one of you belong to a small group because that's where God wants you, that's where you will grow the most in your faith journey. All right? If you have any questions about this, there'll be people outside wearing this bright yellow t-shirt that says, ask me about small groups. There'll be bright yellow balloons as well. Go find them. You won't miss them just outside the door. They'll be standing there. They will be happy to answer all your questions about joining a small group or being a small group leader. And let's do this together as a family, hey? Let's grow together, be strong disciples of Jesus Christ as we share lives together. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.